Welcome to Positively Leading, the podcast that's all about helping you grow your resilience, leadership and influence. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Howling, and each week we will be diving into a variety of topics related to leadership, communication and personal growth. From feedback and accountability to diversity and inclusion, we'll explore the skills and strategies that you need to become a more effective leader. So whether you are looking to improve your communication skills, build strong relationships with your team, or simply become more confident in your role, join me on this journey of growth and discovery, and let's get positively leading. No two ways about it, it takes confidence to lead. But that feeling of not knowing, that feeling of being unsure when all eyes are on you expecting an answer, or when you're managing change and uncertainty is all around. It doesn't take much for self-doubt to creep in. I'm sure this will be as familiar to many of you as it is to me. So how do we shake loose of that self-doubt or imposter syndrome and lead from a place of confidence? Well, that's exactly what I'll be exploring today. Hello and welcome to this episode of Positively Leading, where you will learn two misconceptions about confidence that will help you see it in a whole new light, three behaviours and situations that can zap your confidence and what to do instead, and two powerful strategies to boost your confidence. So let's dive straight in with the misconceptions. Now, misconception number one is that some people are just naturally more confident than others. And yes, that's true. Sometimes we are born with more confidence than others, but equally, confidence can be learnt, and it's a specific skill. So I think it's important here to differentiate between the different kinds of confidence. First of all, research shows that we have general self-confidence. So this is like a personality trait, and this develops early in childhood. So if we develop our confidence in being confident early in childhood, then this is going to carry with us as a general level of confidence through our lifetime. However, there's also domain-specific self-confidence or situation-specific self-confidence. And this is much more of a state of mind. So rather than a trait, it's a state And this is where we are confident or feeling confident to do a specific task. So if I take myself as an example, and I think of communication, I am for the most part a fairly confident communicator. And I will and have done. I will quite happily stand on stage and speak to hundreds of people. And sometimes I've spoken on a stage in front of a couple of thousand people. And I am comfortable and confident doing that. However, I could deliver exactly the same message live on social media or put a video of myself up on LinkedIn or somewhere like that, and it absolutely terrifies me, and I am not confident in doing so. So my confidence is different in communicating in both of those two scenarios. Confidence, even on the same topic of communication, can be wildly different. So that's misconception number one, that we are super confident naturally, whereas actually confidence is context-specific rather than or just as a general permanent characteristic that we have. And that's really exciting, right? Because with that, we can learn the skills. We can tap into how we might have been feeling or how we do feel when we are super confident. And we can look for those skills and strategies and think about how we feel. And we can take all of that and use that in different scenarios and build our confidence in different areas. And we're going to look at different strategies to do that a little bit later in the episode too. But the second misconception is that confidence equals competence. We often look at people who are super confident, people who are excelling in life, and we think, if I could just have their confidence, 
you know, they might be successful leaders and we look up to them. And what we're doing as we're doing that is we're assuming that because they have high levels of competence, that they actually have high levels of confidence. And that's not always the case. An inner sense of confidence and an external confidence are different things. So we might feel not particularly confident inside, and yet we could look confident and competent in what we're doing. And I think this is another really important distinction for us to make about confidence, because it means that we can look at it in two different ways. One, boosting how we actually feel inside and developing that self-confidence that we have to lead. But equally, it's what we can actually do in the moment to portray, to give that perception, that sense of confidence. And giving that sense of confidence, portraying that confidence is crucial as a leader because that then helps people in your team or your family or your community to feel safe and also to feel that they can trust in you and put their faith in you in order to lead. And as a leader, this kind of confidence is also really important in other areas because it can affect our goal setting and our risk aversion. So we might set like really achievable goals rather than stretch goals. It can impact how we show up in conversations, how we work through conflict, for example. And again, here, it's important to understand that difference between our own feelings, that inner sense of self-confidence, and others' perceptions of how confident we are. Because again, research has shown that how you behave is actually the critical aspect of confidence that impacts the performance of others. So in thinking about those two misconceptions, let's just have a quick recap before we go on. The first, the idea that general confidence is developed in childhood and this carries through life, but excitingly, context-specific confidence is a skill that we can develop. And then the second idea, that confidence and competence are not the same thing and that we've got two different ways of developing our confidence as a leader, our internal confidence, or rather our self-confidence, and those external confidence and that perception, that idea of perception that is really important. So we're getting to the really important bit now. Let's think about the three things that can zap our confidence and they're actually all interrelated and importantly, what we can do instead. Now, number one is perfectionism. And this one is a personal struggle. If you like to achieve or you're high performing, then you may pressure yourself to attain you know, really high, unrealistic standards. And then sometimes you can become really discouraged when you fail to achieve them, which impacts our confidence. But here's the thing, according to behavioral psychologist Thomas Curran, perfectionism is not correlated with performance. Perfectionism is, at its root, a sense and a belief that we're imperfect. And I think that's probably the best place for us to start with perfectionism. You know, how comfortable are you showing imperfections to the world? Some people are really good with that and they embrace all of who they are and they don't really mind doing so. And others find that that's actually really tough and they can struggle with it. And this was me. This was rooted, I'm pretty sure, in childhood for me when I achieved and when I got A's and did really well and worked well at school, there was always that push to be perfect, you know, to hand in the perfect essay, to get 10 out of 10 in my spelling test or whatever that might be. And it actually became, for me, about being as perfect as I possibly could to get that recognition, to get those rewards and that sense of achievement and praise. And I would say that I have worked really hard on this but I am still a recovering perfectionist. But here's the thing, we've got to remember that perfectionism doesn't correlate with performance, and in fact, it holds you back. And research shows that it's actually, even more so, it's a strong and consistent predictor of low self-esteem. And not only that, but it can actually bring those cognitive difficulties like rumination. And this 
over time is how perfectionism can start to impact confidence. So how do we overcome this? How do we conquer perfectionism? Well, if we go back to the idea that perfectionism is at its root, that belief that we are flawed or imperfect and we don't want to show that to the world, we're we're working from a kind of deficit mindset there. And most of us have it to a certain extent. You know, we don't totally want to reveal all of our flaws or defects and imperfections to the world. But we have to spot that negative chatter and tell ourselves that we are perfectly imperfect. I used to say to myself, you're only human, it's okay. But then I heard just the most beautiful phrase, and I can't remember where I heard it. I wish I could, because then I could attribute it appropriately. But rather than saying, you know, I'm only human, the phrase is to say, I'm gloriously human. And that's about not just being okay with being perfectly imperfect, but celebrating it. And with this in mind, I've started reading a book by Georgia Murch, and even the title makes me smile. It's called Flawsome, <laughs> and it's about how to make peace with your humanity. You know, how can you drop that search for perfection and actually be okay with being enough, flaws and all, and how your flaws can even become your superpower. So Flawsome, love the name. <laughs> now, the second is trying to stop being perfect all the time and learn to embrace the 50% rule. So the 50% rule was introduced to me by one of my good friends on one of our daily walks when we were living in Hong Kong years ago. So Kate Pacey, if you are listening to this, thank you. She said to me, Sarah, you just need to go to the school of half-assed and it's okay not to give 100% or not to receive that 100% all of the time. And in fact, it's statistically impossible for you to always be at your best. You're bound to do something that's going to fall below average and that's normal. So if you not only accept but embrace the fact that some of the work that you do every week, the emails that you write, the texts that you send, the presentations that you give, the podcasts that you record, that some of them are going to be above average and some below. And that's actually quite liberating. You know, you can't be above average on every single task, let alone perfect. So if we think of the second the second zapper of our confidence now, and that's the fear of failure. And it's closely related to perfectionism, right? Everyone experiences fear at different points, but for some that fear can be really crippling and it can hold us back in ways that we don't actually realise. Now, the fear might be of speaking up in meetings, which can actually lead to us being seen as someone who doesn't contribute. A fear of being yourself. So instead of trying to emulate a boss and, and never learning to really own what's unique and special about you, then this all can contribute to that fear of failure, of not wanting to be yourself. Now, especially when you're an ambitious person, this can show up for us. You know, you want to be awesome all the time and that this can actually stand in our way of success and also in confidence. But if we think about how do we conquer that fear of failure? Well, one strategy is to lessen the fear of failure is to to adopt a growth mindset and the work of Carol Dweck. And if we think about things as learning experiences rather than the either or mindset that pass, fail, good, bad, And we look at things as an experiment. You know, we can get our lab coats on and we look for the learning in any experience. This can be really helpful. And if you find yourself saying negative things like, I can't do this, then try and turn them into a positive learning one by adding the word yet. So I can't do this yet. And that word yet suggests that you still have room to grow and do that thing. And I think that idea of yet and growth mindset and you know getting our lab coats on is a, a really important one. And it's not something that happens immediately. It's something that we have to build over time. 
but we're strengthening that muscle of growth mindset rather than that fear of failure. And the last idea here from a conquering that fear of failure is that being aware of that idea of the, it's a phenomenon and it's called a spotlight effect. And this is where we think people are noticing everything about us when really people aren't paying as much attention to your mistakes as you think. So recognizing that people are more focused on themselves, you know, frees us to make mistakes and learn and grow from them. This is something that I'm holding dear as I'm recording my podcast, not wanting to press stop and edit myself as I'm speaking. But it's a really strong idea. So growth mindset and then that idea of the spotlight effect. Now, the third zapper is comparison. Now, you might have heard of the expression, comparison is the thief of joy. Well, it can actually be the thief of confidence as well. Now, Lucy Sheridan, who is a wonderful friend of mine and my coach, and she's actually the author of The Comparison Cure, she's been researching comparison for over 10 years. And she said that there's a direct correlation between comparison and confidence. When we're knee deep in comparison, you might be, for example, looking at another leader and wanting what they have, or you might be ranking yourself against them and thinking that you don't stack up. Well, this in time causes self-doubt, that inner critic to, to start speaking up and that sense of that not good enough tape that can play on repeat in your brain. So it's important to recognize that comparison is not necessarily helpful for us. So how do we kick comparison to the curb? Well, I've got two quick strategies for you today. Firstly, and this is where that direct correlation comes in, the more aware of your unique skills and strengths and values you are, the more confident you can feel and the less likely you will be to succumb to social comparison. So get really clear on this. Who are you? You might want to head back to, I think it's episode four, where I talked about authentic leadership and really understanding who you are. This will help massively with comparison. And then secondly, when it comes to comparing yourself, a, a healthier approach is to think or is to try and see if people's positive qualities or accomplishments as motivation for you. So if you think about who you compare yourself to and ask yourself the question, how does this comparison serve me? Is it providing a useful benchmark for me? Is it giving me insight into how I can do something better? Is it inspiring me? If it does, then great, build on that. But if it's not serving you, and if it's building those feelings of inadequacy, then notice that, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> okay, so those are the three zappers and what to do instead. Now let's move on to the final part where we're going to think about two strategies that can really help. Now remember, we can't improve our level of general self-confidence, but we can dramatically increase our domain-specific or task-specific self-confidence. Now, these are two strategies that I and many others have found really impactful. Now, the first strategy is gaining experience. So experiencing success in the past is one of the greatest indicators of whether you are confident in being able to complete a task. Now, before you say that's not exactly rocket science, Sarah, let me say it's not just the experience, but it's the quality of the experience, the quality of the reflection and how we interpret our performance when we're reflecting that shows it's got the strongest and most lasting effect on our self-confidence, for better or worse. So when you've had a learning experience, build in structured reflection. For example, using a model with questions to support your thinking. Really mine that for the learning throughout your reflection. 
And my research with leaders demonstrated this to be a really successful process to learn and develop from experience, building confidence and competence. And when you're doing this, remember that we are wired to spot the negative. So make sure that you take the time to identify those skills and positive attributes that you demonstrated through the experience and write down a list of these skills as well so that you can build on them from each reflection. And then when the next time you're feeling a little bit less confident, you can actually just pull out that list as well. So the first strategy is experience. But remember, it's not just about the experience itself. It's about the quality of your reflection too. And the second strategy, I love this, is called or is creating an alter ego. And have you ever wondered how the top world's top stars have the poise and determination to stand on stage despite any nerves and anxiety? Well, both Beyonce and Adele created their own alter ego. Now, Beyonce's was empowered, was uh, called Sasha Fierce. And Sasha Fierce allowed her to perform with extra self-confidence. And then inspired by a meeting with Beyonce, Adele followed suit and she created Sasha Carter. And her persona was a combination of Beyonce's Sasha Fierce and the real country music star June Carter. And Adele said that strategy helped give her the best performance ever during her breakout year. Now, although this might seem like a gimmick for pop stars, new research suggests that there may be some real psychological benefits to this strategy. So adopting an alter ego is a form of self-distancing. And this involves taking a step back from immediate feelings and it allows us to view a situation a little bit more dispassionately. And there's a great book, The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life by Todd Herman. And he's worked with incredible sports people and high achievers for many years. And he creates and builds unshakable confidence through these alter egos. Ethan Cross, who's a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan, he has led much of this research over the past decade and shows that even small shifts in perspective can help people gain control of their emotions and boost their confidence. Now, without knowing anything at all about the concept of alter egos or the psychological research, I created my own alter ego at the age of 17 to get through my Spanish oral A-level exam. Now, I loved reading and writing, but I had really little confidence speaking, and it was 25% of my grade. I didn't have the confidence even to speak in front of the class, let alone in an exam setting. So enter center stage Isabella, an incredibly intelligent, confident Spanish girl from Seville. And I was Isabella through university as well. Whenever I spoke in Spanish, I just brought or I called on my inner Isabella, and in time, I needed her less, especially when I wasn't under pressure. But even when I was a leader living in Buenos Aires, if I had a big presentation to make in Spanish, I would channel Isabella. You know, my alter ego Isabella would come in and I literally became another person. My body language, my voice, my tone. So whether it's Isabella or it's Sasha Fierce, whatever persona we choose, the, the practice is to create that psychological space away from self-doubt and negative emotions whilst also reminding us of the behaviours that we want to emulate, we want to demonstrate. So a little imagination might put us all closer to the person we wish to become. Okay, I've packed a lot into today's episode and I've really tried to keep this under 20 minutes. We might go a little bit over, I think. But we've dispelled two misconceptions about confidence to help you see it in a whole new light. We've shared three behaviours and situations that can zap your confidence and what to do instead. 
And finally, we looked at two powerful strategies that are not only backed by research, but have been tried and tested by me and others. So I'm curious, what has resonated with you today? What will you try? And if you'd like to explore confidence in leadership with me, I've got availability to work one-to-one with a small number of clients from September in my Connection Revolution program. So do get in touch and we can schedule a call. You can head to the show notes to find out more. Now, I am cheering you on as always from here and look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Positively Leading. I hope you found it helpful in your journey to becoming a better leader. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback not only helps me grow, but also helps others discover the podcast and join our community of positive leaders. And if you'd like to work with me, you can head over to sarahowling.com to find out how. Thanks once again for listening. And remember, the world needs more brilliant leaders just like you. So keep on positively leading.